just be more compassionate. Compassion to me just... I think that's the, the one thing that took me away from the Michelin kitchens in the early days and maybe explore something else. There was a lack of compassion, you know, within the kitchen. It was, you know, do or die. Welcome to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal with myself, Chris Hall, the founder of the Burnt Chef Project. Today's guest is Luke Holder, who is the exec chef for Limewood Hotel, which is a five-star hotel in the New Forest. He also works with Angela Hartnett, which he talks about fondly during this chat. Luke and I have spoken on a number of occasions about hospitality, and he has adopted new working strategies that have vastly improved not just the well-being of his team, but the retention of his team as well. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. We touch upon subjects such as rotor planning, staff food, interview clarity, and a whole host of other subjects. So strap yourselves in, enjoy the conversation, and thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Luke. Thanks for joining us on the Burnt Chef Journal. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. No, not a problem at all. I mean, it's been it's great to uh, to catch up with you on a regular basis. You and I have done a couple of these now, haven't we, really? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Our talks have always been quite insightful and, uh, well, they, they go off on some some right tangents, but actually they end up being really useful. So it's it's a no-brainer having you on here today. Thank you. Yeah, I like chewing the fat with yourself as well. I think um, the industry has changed a lot in the sort of 10 years we've we've been involved or, or the, uh, 10 years, we're talking about, talking about 20 years now, but I'm kidding myself with how old I am. But yeah, I think uh, from from starting off at the Orrery uh, in London, you know, which is uh, Michelin star with Chris Galvin, who's a fantastic chef. You know, but those days of uh, when kitchens used to be macho environments, you know, where only the toughest can survive, you know, to where we are now, which is, you know, uh, you know a much more conscientious industry, you know, much more uh, proud to be a part of it. Um, but it's definitely had its casualties along the way, you know. Uh, I think uh, I've been one of those guys where, you know, you're brought up on machoism and you run your kitchen on machoism and uh, much to the detriment of the team and yourself, really, and a lot of individuals along the way. And I think it's great talking to you because I think these type of conversations would never have happened, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, it wasn't... Uh, yeah, actually, I was talking to my daughter about, you know, something last night. She, she was blaming an incident on her sister. And I said, look, the incident changed, you know, once, you know, I asked you to to stop, you know, that's where, you know, you, you had the moment. But I'm trying to teach her, you know, that you can't just explode on everybody, you know, the, and that's a typical thing that's happening in my past, you know, I've had, um, you know, had a, an attitude of, of a tough dictator when I first started becoming uh, a head chef. Um, and over the years, you know, not because of that attitude, but definitely there were uh, that attitude definitely influenced um, elements of people's misery. And I think that's sort of what I'm quite interested in exploring and and and, and talking about nowadays is is how to to move uh, yourself and your team forward into an environment that feels more conducive to learning and to being a part of hospitality. You know. It's uh, we're living through strange times as it is, let alone piling on, you know, the macho um, brimoires competitions of who's got the tightest shallots in the business. 
group humiliation if you can't keep up with the, you know, the perfect square cut. And, you know, we talked before in the past, you know, I've had you know, a suicide in my kitchen, not literally in the kitchen, but part of my team. Uh, also had um, somebody die of a heroin overdose, you know, again, not in the kitchen, but it was part of the team. And it made you look uh, at yourself, made you look at the team, made it look, made you look at the business you're running. Um, and it also made you look, and one thing that we've worked on really hard at Limewood over the last sort of 10, 11 years is um, what type of attitude do we want to bring through from managers and chefs? And I think I've moved um, aside and on people with, um, uh, with the wrong attitude uh, who, who potentially had the cooking ability to be part of the senior team, but maybe didn't have necessarily the mental attitude to, to, to develop the team and to keep uh, a steady hand on the, on, on the tiller. Um, and I think those those values, you know, uh, my current head chef, you know, he's a brilliant guy, you know, and he's fantastic. But has had to learn, you know, that the frustration you have with stuff not being achieved can't boil over into uh, abuse, you know, because any company worth their salt nowadays just is not going to want to employ people like that. And any employee who's worth his salt doesn't want to you know, work for people like that. And I think we've come on leaps and bounds. And I've been there, you know, when, when you know, my senior team has told me, well, what other option do I have? You know, if they haven't got fear, you know, how do I get them, you know, to, to, to get to that next stage? And and I used to be like that myself, you know, they used to always think fear was a good foundation, you know, the good foundation, you know, you wouldn't go out and hunt if you didn't have the fear of starvation. You wouldn't have built a house if you didn't have the fear of freezing to death or, you know, being blown away by the wind. But I think we can move, you know, we're living in the 20th century now or the 21st and we, we need to move forward. And, and that type of intimidation for your team leaves you with just you and a couple of others who will put up with it and a hell of a lot of work. And I could say, you know, that, you know, when you've got a small team, sometimes the food's a little bit better. But I think what I've learned over the years is I'm a little bit more forgiving with people making mistakes because it's a big thing for me that we need to frame failure or mistakes in a more positive light if that makes sense because nobody achieves anything without having the knockbacks before but they shouldn't be framed as necessarily a negative thing no it's an opportunity to grow isn't it ultimately it's you know and so it's about providing that freedom of space and that free, that freedom to be able to allow people to 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 fail or to make mistakes, but being there to rectify it. So just um just take me take me back a little bit in terms of you, you talked a little bit about like how you used to manage and and how you manage now, and and we'll talk a little bit more about how you manage now because you and I have spoken before, and I think that you have exactly the right ethos and the way forward for that many other hospitality businesses and, and owners and management staff could benefit from. But talk to me about uh, how you, as the younger Luke Holder, would, would manage a member of staff who's made a mistake or, or perhaps ways that you dealt with things that now you wouldn't. Give us an example. First, well, first of all, you know, one, one of the, uh, the classic things was, you know, going through someone's fridge before service, you know, to make sure their mise en place was, was up to scratch. 
and then uh, realizing it wasn't, then calling the whole kitchen round and emptying their fridge all over their section, you know, with all the profanities that go along with it, you know, you're happy with this, look, it's dog shit, bandit, you know, look at this, look at this pure, everybody thinks this is good enough, you know, and then leave them shattered, stood there, you know, uh, feeling ashamed, and then bollock them again for having their section a shithole five minutes before service starts. You know, it's creating that complete lose-lose situation and an environment that's, you know, I suppose in a way it makes, it, 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 you know, you, you're feeding your own ego. You know, you're trying to, you're setting a tone by having everybody else there that, you know, any mistakes are going to be shamed, you know. And there are elements that drive a team forward you know there are people who can cope in that environment right who thrive in that environment whose standards become so rock solid that nothing moves you know but those people are few and far between you know and those people um aren't always necessarily um the type of people you'd want to socialize with or be be friends with and it gave very little opportunity for um, you to get to, for, for for people to sort of get to get through those mistakes and grow with you because I've seen it, you know, as I've grown older. And one thing I've got a very loyal senior team, you know, um, nowadays, and they can really see the benefit because they can see it within themselves. Even, you know, my junior Sue uh, currently, you know, he was one of those lads that sort of went through a bit of that, you know, but we paid faith of him, you know, threatened him with, you know, with the sack and losing his job, you know, but, you know, he's so, but now he can see that, you know, through all of his failings and that trend, he was sort of on the cusp of the transition when I moved from, you know, that, that type of management to a little bit more forgiving. He, he can definitely see now that you need to have patience with people. People will screw up the littlest thing, you know, the sandwich, the bloody, you know, the, the slicing of a tomato, the forgetting to order the whatever, right? And that has great benefit because what we built into the team now is compassion and patience at the senior level. And I think that took... Uh, well, it took about six, seven years for that to to grow, to move from that one position to where we are now. That's um, I mean, to to for you to speak openly about how things used to be, which you know, perhaps there was the normality 10, 15 years ago, and that was the way it was. Um, and to be on the other side of that now, it takes a great deal of strength and energy to be able to openly admit that not to yourself but to others as well mm. because there are many out there and the, and I use the term older heads but you know the longer serving members of the hospitality community who are now just turning a blind eye to it all and going nah this is the way it is and this is the way it needs to be so thank you very much well, for your I, I think what's interesting is in 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 that sense that people say you know this is what hospitality is you realize that hospitality you know, he's living in the dark ages with that type of type of mentality. You know, that that, that sort of Victorian Britain, you know, it, it, it's the workhouse attitude. You know, this that isn't a the attitude of management from a progressive forward thinking business, you know, and and actually, you know, 
at Linewood in the pig, you know, you know, Robin Hudson's always said, you know, our chairman has always said, you know, put people first, get the product right, and the profit will follow. And I've worked for people who are profit merchants who go, and part of that, you know, that stress that we're all under as chefs trying to drive our margins, you know, you do go bonkers over, you know, waste food and other bits and pieces. But that losing it shouldn't be, you know, it should be an internal thing, not necessarily, you know, you need to educate your team. So that annoyance that you feel. And I do think that we are the generation that uh, have been bestowed with the responsibility of growing up in an abused environment to being the ones who don't propagate the abuse to the next generation. We've got to, and I know there's a lot of chefs out there as I deal with it within my own team, with with my own friends uh, in the industry who struggle to understand why it can't be like it was when we grew up. We put up with it. We dealt with it. We survived. We got to this point. It's like, yeah, but how many casualties? You know, there were survivors of the Vietnam War. There were survivors of the Second World War. Doesn't necessarily mean it was, you know, the, the, the way we should be going about things. Yeah, 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 definitely. And you are right. And also at the same time, how many good chefs or how many good front of house staff have been lost yeah. down to the fact that they haven't been, they they had immense amounts of talent, but they were treated in the wrong ways and ended yeah. up in a position where actually they decided that hospitality wasn't the career for them or or even worse. And in, in, in the case of, of you know, the, unfortunately, you've had first experience with, they take their own life because yeah. they don't feel they're capable of it. It's a real... It's something that I, I've, you know, you and I have talked about this at length, and it's something that I still struggle to get my head around is the fact that an industry like this that's so large, you know, with 3.2 million people that work in the UK, 72 million that work worldwide, yeah, still have such an archaic, old school, just Im- immoral way of operating. And I'm not saying that as a generalised thing. You know, I don't want no. anyone to think that... We're, we're writing hospitality off as, as a terrible industry and it's it's you know, no, no, it goes not on everywhere. We are talking about a minority now as yeah. opposed to where it used to be a majority. But I'm doing treat like from from my perspective, uh, I've always questioned whether or not this is a learned behavior or if for anyone that knows psychology, there was a psychology study done a little while ago with university students putting them into a prison environment where half of the university students were prison officers, half of them were prisoners. And what they found with over, over, I think it was just over a week into that experiment, that their behaviours changed to such a point that the prison officers were treating the prisoners so badly that they had to call an end to the experiment. And these were friends that went in. So how much of this is learned behaviour from, you know, your previous head chefs, and how much of this is actually as a result of the pressure of the environment? Interesting question, a good question. And I think that, I think there's a bit of both. I think there is uh, a lot of pressure, you know, it's, there isn't a lot of profit in hospitality, you know, it it takes a lot of work to drive 5p out of every pound, you know, it takes a lot of hands, it takes a lot of controls and checks and balances. And we all know what it's like, because I think one of the key benefits to changing um, your management style, right? There's either, you either have the right support at the top, or if you're young and you're running your own business, you know, you haven't got that mentorship above you that can can guide you through those pressure points, right? 
But I know it's like, you know, you come to the end of the month and, you know, you've got a target to hit, food cost target, a staff cost target, you know, whatever it is. And that pressure can build, you know, or, you know, you, you know you're, you're trying to drive for a, for a Michelin star, you know, or whatever it is that you, 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 your aspirational aspirations for your business are, you know, that pressure. And if you haven't got good mentorship or you haven't got good leaders to look up to, you know, you... We don't, we're not, as chefs, we're not taught um, very well how to cope with pressure. You know, in, we, we do cope with pressure well. We're able to multitask, we're able to sort of push on hard, we're able to put sleep and tiredness behind us and, and drive. You know, we, we do cope with pressure like that very well, you know, quite well, but we don't sort of do very well with coping with the business side of the pressure. And, and, I think we, we touched on it before about, you know, being having an environment where you're allowed to make mistakes. And I think if you're working for a company that is just constantly driving on the profit, you know, you, that goes one or two ways. You either lose a bit of the passion because people just made the decision that it's all just about the money, you know, and you get that harvester sort of feel, you know, it's like buy it in, it's done, who cares, just boom, done. Or, um, you get the, the 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 tension building around it's so important not to to make a mistake because it costs us money to do all this and it I, I i almost found it took me 10 years to learn how to become a head chef all right and i just and i don't think that well not in my experience anyway i wasn't mentored very well through my sous chef levels i wasn't um because you end up, you know, sometimes you end up being a sous chef because, you know, your cooking dictates it. You know, you, you can cook everything and you need a pay rise and, you, you know, you're big. so you're not really taught, you know, how to, to, to develop and lead. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and how to bring people on, you know, and how to. Um, and I get it. You know, you don't want the mistake that somebody's made getting to the customer, you know, absolutely. But and. It is bloody hard, you know, when you stood on the pass and it's coming up wrong and you're under that pressure to decide whether, you know, you're going to make someone late or compromise the rest of the service. But one of the things, the little tricks that we started doing, I start having um, my junior team run the pass more often, right, with me on the inside supporting. So I'll be with the guys cooking or with the pass supporting supporting it. And when those managers come in with, you know, the dietaries or the delays or whatever else, you're able to support that young chef on the pass. But what the young chef learns there is how difficult it is to deal with the problem, right, when nobody spoke up before the problems happened. And the consequences uh, of that is you have more, when he goes back to being in the kitchen, you know, your junior Sue goes back to sort of being in the kitchen, working with the boys, he's more dialed in on that pressure of you know whether it be what's in the dish does it contain nuts gluten you know did it because he's he's there he's had it come up overcooked and he realizes that i've either got to send it or i don't send it or the consequences are all these other tables are now going to be affected by this or this one table is just going to have a really crap night and we're going to have to write it off and it goes into the you know the log report and the next day you know somebody's reading about it you know but I think going back to that, creating an environment where 
mistakes and failure are supported and encouraged in the right way so they don't have uh, doesn't fall that doesn't turn into a disaster of a service doesn't mean everything falls apart but it allows people to grow and to develop and the more that different people can have different aspects of what everybody's going through from the the commie you know chopping onions to the chef on the pass right once you've all got a little bit more insight you know what ends up happening is you all start working for each other. So when he's back on the floor, he's like, you know, let's just, you know, I don't care if this is wrong. Tell chef, right? There's no point in going in service. It's not, he's definitely going to see it, right? When it starts to come up, it's, he'd rather not have it on the menu than us try and sort of squeeze something past that's wrong, right? And right, okay, we forgot to order something or, you know, delivery. We've all been through these last few months, delivery companies really up against it as well, being able to deliver product. But, it comes down to that environment that you create, you know, create an environment that people want to be in, that, that, that feel that they can make mistakes without being, you know, group humiliated, lambasted or thrown to the lions for it, right? And that way you'll get a greater buy-in from your team into you. And I think I noticed it on this this nest, this last lockdown, you know, we got locked down on uh, Christmas Day was our, our last service. And... You know, I'd spent uh, 10 grand on food literally on Christmas Eve, you know, the final food delivery, thinking, well, we're not going to get another delivery for a week. That's a lot of pressure, you know, you, because that, that food is essentially going to go to waste. It's not going where it needs it. A lot of that pressure. But the response from my senior team to pick up, you know, um, anything they could to relieve stre stress and strains and relay, you know, um, or, or, or divert some of the pressure coming up from the bottom from the young chefs who were scared and, and worried and all the rest of it was quite humbling to be honest with you because you realize you've got uh you've got a team of people who are really on your side who are fighting your corner who are supporting you whereas previously when i didn't have an inclusive uh, outlook on my uh, management approach all that pressure that you feel at that moment and particularly because I'm supported above by my hotel director, you know, the, my, my Angela, by all these other people, they all know what we're going through. And I know that support is there. But, you know, these mistakes are accepted. They're not going to be, you know, your job on the line, your mortgage is not going to get paid. You know, none of that is there. And I think that makes a difference to how you cope with that pressure and stop it boiling over to, you know, uh, poisonous and uh, destructive behaviour. So in summary then, I mean, from, from the sound of things, it's, it's almost a multi-tiered approach whereby your mentorship helps guide people with the tools that they need to be more resilient within a busy workplace. But also that environment also needs to set a tone that certain behaviors aren't accepted and certain behaviors can be allowed and such, such as making minor mistakes and failing um and we use the term failing but again we touch upon that as you know an opportunity for for growth yes. um you know something that my old boss always told told me about was you know what i was always knee-jerk to react just like yourself you know back 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 in there when i was managing teams if something went wrong i would my face would turn red or purple. Yeah. I'd end up saying stuff. I'd speak out a turn. I'd feel like an absolute prick about it afterwards, but that would be how I react. And one thing that he said to me, it sticks to me now, is be like a swan. Be yeah. graceful and glide across the water on top, but paddle like fuck underneath. Yeah. 
and it's okay for for you to find like ways to let that out but doing it at the expense of your team or damaging relationships is not the way to do it and it sounds like you've hit that that nice equilibrium between the two and i and, and genuinely i just don't think you know as you you know food is worth it at the end of the day you know like the, the misery that you can rain down on somebody you know over a little detail you know with a bit of perspective you know is it really worth it you know and and i think i get it you know sometimes those super restaurants you know you've got to you know you've got to be um you know I've worked at three Michelin star level, know that level of detail, you know, know, you know, that pressure, that push. But, you know, one of those defining moments in my career was working at that three star level in Italy and realizing they didn't abuse or humiliate people. The buy-in was uh, in a slightly different context. You know, the, the checks and, uh, and balances were done really thoroughly. So, so there wasn't any of that uh, problematicness happening live in service because it was all tasted, tested, dusted before service even began. But even when those mistakes were made, you know, and, you know, during my time, I, you know, I broke uh, the thermo mixer that the head chef had had for 25 years, the very original <laughs> thermo mixer. Oh, shit. <laughs> set fire to one of the fridges because I'd never used induction before and pulled out. But it didn't feel like a British kitchen. It didn't feel the same... Um, when I made mistakes with the PPRA or uh, overcooking the langoustines, you know, it was, it was dealt with, it was put aside. It was, well, we're not going to serve that tonight. Right. Okay. Fine. Because I think that, but what I learned in Italy was there was acceptance that you're not an idiot. Okay. You, you are here to try and do a good job. Okay. You know, you are here and it's not like you're, you know, you're intentionally or, um, you have no respect for the quality of the languistines that came in that, you know, you've, you've just overboiled, you know, because you thought it was one minute 30 on the timer. It should have been 30 seconds on the timer. And, you know, it's like, okay, fine. Next time, ask the question, fine. You know, we've been them. If you're constantly making that mistake. You're not going to be in that environment for long because, you know, but they just didn't, they didn't group humiliate. They didn't pressurize, you know, I remember overcooking a tart tatan or forgetting to put a tart tatan in the oven at the orrery. And, you know, it's, it made me feel sick two years after I left that place, walking past that kitchen, you know, because of the, the pressure that, you know, because a lot of it was self-induced, but a lot of it was, uh, you know, the fear of, you know, those sous chefs sort of failing them. And, you know, and, and I just think that's what sort of really, you know, started the transition for me was seeing at the very highest level in Italy how they manage people and, and sitting down eating together that was just you know and good quality staff food you know that was just a non-negotiable you know it's and that sort of you know everybody sat down at the same time everybody breaking bread you know living the philosophy that you're selling I think really really does make a difference. Would you say then that the frustrations felt by management in terms of how their staff perform and the onus on them for making mistakes is perhaps felt through the fact that the hiring systems aren't as aren't as strong as they should be you know because it always comes back to the fact that you're almost treating people like idiots so that they don't make a mistake that reflects badly upon you mm. but as businesses develop and as we try and pave this new way of, of a wider acceptance of working for hospitality 
that actually people should be employed. And it's like it's like um, I saw the other day, like front of house staff shouldn't have their mobile phones on them on the floor. Why can't you entrust that yeah. individual yeah, exactly. who, who you've hired for your business yeah. because you believe that they're a fit for your business yeah. to have a mobile phone on them or to be in charge of this particular yeah. thing without feeling like they're going to damage your business because they respect the business Exactly. And, and I think I think that's a really great example, actually. You know, we're not at school. OK, you know, this is this is a, a grown up environment. It's like you can have your phone on you. Everybody's got their phone. It's got their whole life on it now. It's got their bank accounts, got everything on there. Right. It's not something that we can happily just leave lying around. Right. Because if it gets stolen, it's a valuable asset more than just its actual physical cost. You know? But you're exactly right. People need, when we hire people at Lyman in the kitchen, say this is a five-star hotel. These, these are the standards. If you don't want to adhere to these standards, don't, don't come and work here. You know, there are, there's a vast array of different hospitality things. You know, there's X, Y, and Z down in the village there. There's that sort of pub over there. There's the cafe over there. You know, if, if you just want a little bit more, um, if your attitude is a little bit more sort of like this, and you don't want to buy into this, then there's no point in you working here. You know, it is hard work. And I make no apologies, you know, for hard work because I think, you know, hard work is absolutely fine. Being abused or being treated badly, you know, while you're working hard is something we don't agree with. And, you know, I often, with kitchen porters, it's always, uh, it's always interesting. We always say, um, one boy is good, two boys are half a boy, and three boys are no boys at all. So if you have too many kitchen porters, there's no productivity. Because you know, the one's way expecting the next one to do something, or it, and that you know, that's not just kitchen boards. That's I think in any line of, of work, getting the right balance between productivity. But I do say, you know, it is really hard work being a kitchen porter. Okay, but no matter, it's actually the most pivotal uh, position within the kitchen because no matter what the front of house do, no matter what the kitchen do, if we've got dirty plates, dirty knives, and force, it undermines everything that we do. So. And then we talk about, you know, the management of the dishwasher, you know, dishwasher needs to be cleaned and looked after. So if you're an unconscientious kitchen porter and you just keep treating the, abusing the dishwasher, the dishwasher blows up, then the problem is tenfold because now you're doing everything by hand and it's a bloody nightmare, right? So laying out the expectation at interview stage about what your establishment is what you expect right is absolutely the right way to go right give people really clear don't you know put fluffy cherries on it and you know wrap it up in a dicky bow you know it, it the environment is this it's hard work you know for the eight hours you're here or the 10 hours you're here or the 14 hours you're here we expect this from you right if you don't want to buy into that don't join here because this is the way. And I think if you look at, we often talk about, you know, um, if, any any great business, whether you're working for Apple, uh, whether you're working for Google, Facebook, Man United, any of these, there are sacrifices and disciplines that need to go along with working for, you know, those type of companies. You know, if you're working, if you want to drink 10 pints of beer and don't train three days a week, you're not going to play for Man United, but you can still play football on a Sunday and enjoy yourself and be great, right? But at Man United, you've got to have, you know, a level of discipline, a level of commitment. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. And if you can get that sorted at the very beginning, you know, when you take somebody on, then it, you 
absolutely within your right when you're finding those difficult times with that individual to sit them down and say, look, I was honest with you. I told you from the start, you know, it's going to be hard as a kitchen porter. It's going to be hard as, as any. Have we treated you badly? No, no, it's just too busy for me. Fine. You know, or I just, I'm just not motivated to pick the herbs like that. And I just, I don't see the relevance of the green oil on the thing, or I just don't think, you know, we should be putting the puree on. It's like, absolutely fine, but don't work here. You know, you, there are other opportunities. And I think as well, if you can be big enough and brave enough to, you know, I've had people come on interview recently where I said, I just don't think this is going to be right for you, but here's a few suggestions of good places that I think you would be more suited for interview clarity and it goes back to what you were saying earlier where you actually had a chef who or a number of chefs who had the cooking prowess and the cooking ability mm. to be a great um representation of your food but actually weren't right for the business model so it's about finding that absolutely that that right trade-off and it's really it's, it's, it's an interesting point and uh, interview clarity is something that came up for a conversation i had uh with an american recently joseph who will be on a podcast uh, just before this one, actually. So this the one just gone. And he was talking about interview clarity being one of the key pillars of any business because, I mean, I, I both you and I have met people and we've probably made mistakes in our past as well where we've mm. used our words. Or, I mean, I've certainly met chefs and, you know, even up until recently whereby they've taken a job on and they're aiming for rosettes or they're aiming for a Michelin. And that's what they've been told would be happening in their in the interview. And that's what they bought the premise of the job. on. Yeah. But actually, it turns out very quickly that none of that was true. Yeah. And the yeah. this, this disdain and the upset and the impact of the business and the impact of the individuals that work within that business is just it's incredible. It's absolutely mm. amazing. And I think that many business owners are so. I don't know. I don't know what I mean, what drives that behavior? Why, why would a business owner or a manager falsely sell a job like that well, i think part of it is you know you're trying i don't know whether the, the motivation behind something like that is because you want to try and come across as something you're not or that you want to try and drive more out of them than it's possible but i think you know we, we 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 gave up on you know that sort of nonsense you know a while ago it's like we're, you know we're not going to be when I mean, you come from an interview with us it's like you're not going to be we're not a Michelin star kitchen. We're not aiming for that. We don't, you know, we're not into, you know, all the phones and J's, but we know what we want. We expect it to be good and we want it to be this. And you, you I think it's almost coming back around to just being, you know, honest, you know, it, it's accepting, again, this comes with all this um, um, assumed uh, bullshit around stuff, you know, like, Oh, if we tell them we're going to be going for, you know, a Michelin star and all this, it's like, instead of you just saying, you know what, we're just this local small restaurant, it'll be a great stepping stone for you, you know, and we can help you move forward from here or not and be supportive on, you know, if that's what you want to, you know, do is go on to Michelin. But, you know, why take somebody in the kitchen that you know is just going to become a problem for you two months down the line, six months down the line, one year down the line? You know, I just see, you know, stand your ground, be proud of what it is you do. You know, I had uh, one of my chefs leave and open um, a small little cafe on um, the marina in Southampton. And I went down there to support it. And you know what? I was really pleased. It was somewhere you could go and get a 
great Caesar salad, a slice of cake and, you know, a, a cheese and pickle sandwich, right? And we've made it all the care and and and, and, the, and that, you know, is sadly lacking. And she didn't want to work. She was fed up of working 14 hours a day, 15 hours a day with all that pressure. But you could go and get a bowl of gnocchi there with a bit of Parmesan on it or a cheese and ham sandwich or, a you know, a Caesar salad that was done properly, which is sadly missing from... 90% of the pubs that you know that are that we're surrounded by and I think there's great um great opportunity within hospitality if some of these companies could could uh, give people the opportunity to um, produce food in the right in the right way without having to have it doesn't have to be two tiers like it has to be Michelin or it's crap you know mm. I just I, I just yeah. and, and it doesn't always have to be you know and, and I think you know, you see it more and more now, you know, Michelin stars are, you know, important sort of um, for our industry, you know, and they, they, they do stand for, for a survey, but I've eaten plenty of crap Michelin starred restaurants, you know, and plenty of frou-frou, you know, around the plates and, you know, with the food that just completely unnecessary. And, you know, we, what we need is a broader um, quality within the hospitality sector. And, you know, we need to be able to go to our pubs and, and have just a, goal, a bowl of soup and a ham sandwich that, that's done properly. You know, we need, you know, I was thinking just yesterday, thinking about, you know, the kids going back to school and doing homeschooling and what we're going to do. And, and I was thinking about, you know, all the dinner ladies. I thought, oh, you know, dinner ladies, you know, you think about it, you know, they're all vulnerable people, you know, and anything... You know, we really, you know, but they do a great service for us. You know, they do all this. And I thought, you know, maybe we should get the chefs together and, you know, get them into the schools, you know, and see, it, you know. And I thought, well, the last thing the dinner ladies need to be doing is, is undermined by a bunch of jumped up young chefs coming in feeling like they've saved the day. You know, actually, there's, you know, but there's, there is a, a level of even serving school meals where you think, and, it, you know, I live in a, you know, uh, relatively sort of mixed area of wealth and, and, and poverty and you know you, and you look at you know some of the you know some of the you know the the the, the, the school meals that you know I wouldn't necessarily you know think that, that it's good school food but then again I look at the the, the the variety of people who are entering that school you think how do you serve anybody anything here that that hits the yeah. note that everybody could eat you know from you know the the middle class you know attitude to you know the the school meal voucher attitude you know it's probably one of the very few hospitality environments whereby the customers don't get a say in what they eat yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's got, very true you know the biggest amount you can have a thousand two thousand customers and not one of them gets a single say yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Perhaps, perhaps we should, uh, you know, open a restaurant with that particular view. You come here, you eat what I tell you to yeah, eat, and yeah, it's cool. Like it, it's brilliant. <laughs> School dinners, yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah, what a great concept. Actually. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Trademark that. Someone, someone can contact. But um, so talk to me because one thing that you and I have never discussed about is your relationship with Angela Hartnett, and mm -hmm. I'm intrigued to see how much of your your management style or your ethos on company culture kitchen culture has been how much has Angela had to do with that if at all and and you know how does perhaps her management style differ from yours uh, I think it's had a massive effect on it I think the what people don't sort of realize in these partnerships we talked about good uh, mentorship before and 
Angela has been fundamental in changing a lot of, and she wouldn't even recognize it, I suppose, directly, because, you know, but over the years, you know, my time with Angela has grown from, you know, professional moments within the kitchen to um, having a good friendship outside of work. And a lot of what I picked up on is um, just being around her presence, watching her with other people, watching her with her own business and her own chefs. You know, she was instrumental in me thinking uh, differently about uh, the road to writing. And I know that at the time, Rana was closed one day a week, but they used to give them two days a week on top of that. So they would have three days uh, off and four days on. We took that and applied it to our business, but took it a little bit further where we, uh, because hotels are open seven days a week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that we applied, you know, that philosophy over a three month road to writing plan. And, you know, that had, you know, big benefits, but Angela, you know, is an incredibly inspiring person because when you watch, you know, for me, I wasn't around Angela when she was at the height of coming out of Gordon and setting up her, you know, uh, and running her kitchens. But what I have got the benefit of is all of those years of experience. And Angela is absolutely, if you watch her just with people, she makes you feel great when you're with her, right? You watch uh, make other people feel great and you watch what happens when you make people feel good, right? There's a willingness, things just start to move, things start to happen. And every time, you know, I felt, you know, cause at first, you know, we would be making, we talk about mentorship and, and, and an environment and the way you're allowed to fail. I remember there's a time when Angela came down, you know, she's come down two days every week in the beginning for the first sort of three years. And, and every time she came into the kitchen, something happened with the you know the, the kitchen crew and we'd just be making all these really stupid mistakes and stuff that we you know we turned 150 of these this week not one problem and Angela would turn up and we, we couldn't get it hot or we couldn't cook it right and I used to sort of you know outside be like I'm sorry it's so embarrassing today you know the, oh, and, and and at that point sometimes be like <laughs> to the, to the chefs who are screwing everything up and then you realize that she just offered that support. She's like, no, I get it, you know, and she understood. Her impact on the... On yeah, the and made me feel more relaxed, which made me enable the kitchen to relax more. You know, instead of being like, oh, I'm just coming down tomorrow, but I'll be any fucking mistakes, you know, we've got to get on it, you know, got to show that we can cook, you know. It's like, actually, that's just nonsense. We just need to do what we're doing, you know, just... Get in your first you know, state. Yeah and, yeah, and 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 plenty of times where she's you know reached out and said, oh, "I really love what you were doing there. We got the recipe for it, did it, and that built confidence." And she never held on to you know screwing now, but she wasn't afraid and still isn't afraid to say when you know we have a lot of the similar customer base eating at the Murano's, the cafes, and at Limewood, and she's not afraid to say, "Look, you know, I had a letter of complaint come in. What was going? You know, what was happening here?" Did it. And as I say, great mentorship, you know, great uh, and, and realizing that, uh, you know, if you're not having fun, you know, life just passes you by and it's just not worth it. And I think there's, you know, I did a pop up at, at um, um, the River Cafe, not the River Cafe, um, uh, Christ, what's it called? Completely out of mind blank right now, but I remember going to this do this pop up with Angela with Hugh Fernie Whittingstall and um, River, Cottage. River Cottage. That's it, yeah. And um, 
just watching her, you know, bring so much joy, you know, and diffusing any tension was just absolutely inspiring for me. And I just thought, you know, if you can go into any environment, you know, where, yes, people are coming, they're spending their money, they're buying into the food, you know, but just putting a bit of fun all over it, you know, there is even at times when, you know, our own uh, boss, we got flown out to the, to the south of France to do a, um, a private dinner. And, you know, we went to the markets, we bought everything, it was all lovely. And we're in this beautiful place. And, you know, it was all very, you know, amazing experience. And I bought these peaches and what and I'd bought what I thought was puff pastry and, you know, turned out it was, it was just a, a, like a, some sort of wholemeal short crust. Anyway, we're trying to make this peach tart and I end up screwing it up so badly, nearly setting fire to this, this, this very nice kitchen. And Angela, I don't think Angela and I have laughed as hard at anything in our life as, as that moment. And she just took all the tension of this, you know, oh, we've been flown out, we're doing this, you know, swanky meal, it's in this swanky place, it's all, you know, very highbrow and all the rest of it. And, you know, we, we laugh about this fruit pizza that we ended up, you know, we wanted to make this lovely peach tar that ended up looking like some, you know, thrown up fruit pizza. pizza. But, you know, but that's what she brings. She brings... Um, one, a wealth of experience, you know, she, she's really good at, um, at giving advice on where the food is, what we should be focusing on. Um, she does, she completely trusts us. She doesn't try to micromanage us. She completely trusts us to sort of write the menus, you know, to, 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 to build them in um, with the right vision for what we're trying to, to, to create at line with Hartner Holder and Co. That's, that's, not quite Murano, but it's not quite the cafes. It's somewhere, you know, sort of in between that. But she also just has, you know, great ability to, to make people feel calm, make you realise it's about having fun and, you know, but without letting things just go and be crap. You know, nobody's, just, nobody's gonna, she's not gonna allow a name to be put in the mug like that, but. It's a fine balancing act, isn't it? It's, it's that, it's almost like that, feeling that pressure of service and going, uh, do you know what? It's not as big a deal as I made out, but also not going, oh, fuck it. I can't, yeah. you know, where is what it is? I, never mind. And it's about about hitting that sweet spot. And it's it's doable. It seems, yeah. a lot, I think it's probably a lot more daunting than it actually is. is to... Well, I, I'm the lucky one because at the end of the day, you know, Angela is, you know, <laughs> You know, he's arguably one of the greatest chefs of her generation. You know, worked under, you know, arguably one of the greatest chefs of his generation, Gordon. And I get all the benefit of years of experience of running businesses, you know, about, you know, how to, you know, how to, um, how to, 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 to look after the people, to drive the product that will end up leading to better profitability, you know, for the business without car crashes and damaging people's mentally, you know, along the way. And for that, I will be eternally grateful to, to Angela and to Robin for, you know, for bringing her on board and, and realising, because, you know, Robin Hudson is, for me, the master at understanding personalities and what's going to work, you know, and want all of his you know, his business is successful because of the people that he's, you know, that he's paid faith into. And yeah, yeah. he's continually shown faith. You know, we've had lots of ups and downs over the years, you know, not just in the kitchen, but as a business, you know, 
even when uh, the wine cellar was broken into uh, last year or uh, 18 months ago and we had you know thousand pounds worth of wine you know he, he took a really um strong but compassionate approach to how we were going to investigate what happened to them in the wine cellar and the supporting of the sommelier obviously felt you know dreadful that you know that the cellar had been broken into and all the rest of it but you know I, i'm lucky i work with the, the the best of the best in you know in this class and i've learned you know, to be humble, to listen, and not just to the people above you, but certainly the people below you, because you know that feedback from how your team uh, are feeling when you're when you're a young chef, you don't want to listen to it. You know, I'm the boss, do as I say. This is the way it goes. As you get older, you know, taking a a gauge to um, how your kitchen or your food and beverage operation is working by you know listening to you know, how a 17-year-old waitress feels on the pass when one of the chefs is going mental at somebody else teaches you a lot about what you need to work on as as uh, as a business. Do you know what? I'm just, I'm just making a note now because one thing that has cropped up on my Instagram fairly recently was this T-shirt. It had loads of likes on it. Obviously, chefs, it resonates with chefs, but it was your opinion is not in the recipe. And what you've just said there, it actually, I've been trying to think of an angle for this because I don't, Whilst I agree with the sentiment, I don't necessarily agree with the, the behaviour of it. Yes. And yeah. what, you, what you've just said has summarised it perfectly. It's the fact that actually by listening to the people around you, no matter what level or age you are, it can actually help you better navigate a, a better level of service, a better le level of you know happiness and well-being within your team. It doesn't necessarily mean you always have to act on everything that you hear, but... No, but that, that, and that's where your experience comes into play. You know, that's that's the, the final part of the jigsaw. You know, you, you listen to it and some of it you'll just, you might dismiss. You, think, you know, actually, that's just bollocks. You know, I'm not listening to that. But if you're brave enough, sometimes you hear little snippets that, that tell you quite a bigger story that's going on within your, you know, within your business that you, you could do with addressing. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, we, we talked about staff food being an important thing. And I remember... Um, being pulled up on some, you know, some of the um, the spa staff and uh, housekeeper staff, you know, were complaining about staff food and and chess gets super defensive about it, you know, straight, you know, bollocks, you know, well, we're all busy, you know, we're all busy and we're all, you know, da -da -da -da, we ain't got time for it. You should just a bit like uh, we were talking about before, just be grateful that you, you know, you're getting served some food, you know, yeah. no matter how crap it is. But actually. You know, it's a small win to create a bigger impact on your on the, the mental well-being of your business. And as much as it aggrieved me at the time to see photos of some of the crap that we'd served, you know, it was a platform for us to move forward from as a total business, um, suffocating, well, hang on, that's the wrong word. Um, um, Stifling. Getting or getting getting chefs to realize you know that, that attitude of you should just be grateful that you get any food isn't good enough but also making enough effort that if someone doesn't agree with the staff food okay that's fine because staff food is always a subjective thing you know it's always you know well i didn't like but if you're going to serve crap nobody 
you know, is winning in that situation. If you're going to serve something decent that you feel, you know, is good enough and somebody doesn't like it, that's a different thing, you know. And I think that moment uh, helped develop um, the relationship between the kitchen and the rest of the business uh, without, because kitchens also become very insular and, and you know. In bubbles, aren't they? Microclimates. Yeah, and they, and they think they can hold everybody, you know, well, you should just be bloody grateful. And it, and it, and I, and it becomes a thing in our kitchen now where, you know, it's, you know, you, this is your chosen profession to cook. This is what you do every day. I cannot believe we can't serve something decent for us to eat. You know, it, but, you know, I grew up in an environment where, you know, the chicken necks would come out of the stock pot and we'd pick the meat out of that and we'd serve proper crap. Or the thing that, you know, I also hated was the fact that everybody's obsession with a full English breakfast, you know, being like the ultimate food delivery. And what you realise when you step outside of restaurant environments, you move into a hotel environment is there's a completely different dynamic of people that you're serving food to. These aren't just people who are service line, you know, restaurant people, you know, we're all in it together. We serve this food. There are housekeepers, there are gardeners, there are spa people, and, you know, they all have their dietary and, and, and comfort things. They're from all over the world. You know, they're a complete mix of different people. And just thinking that, you know, ham, egg and chips is going to be enough, you know, particularly if it's getting sent down to a staff canteen that's going to be served in an hour, you know, two hours from now. You know, they're different challenges. And I've got a lot more. I never really worked. I've never really worked in hotels before I joined Lime, but I got a lot more respect for what hotel chefs do, you know, and I think restaurant chefs don't necessarily realize what the challenges are within a hotel because restaurant chefs, you know, spend too much time just abusing everybody for not getting their brimoise of shallots right, you know, whereas actually a fundamentally important part of the engine room that is the kitchen within the hotel is the well-being for all the staff within that place. And actually considering how the staff canteen works, the type of people, what time they're eating, how long the food's going to sit there, what condition it's going to be in, you know, those are things to just be underestimated and brushed under the carpet because they have a big effect on people's well-being. Yeah, it's a pivotal role, isn't it? Like, you know, if you go and have a bad meal somewhere, uh, you know you know it. And, you know, yeah. if you eat crap, and we're all too familiar with eating crap within hospitality, it has a direct impact on not just, you know, your physical health, but how you feel as well. 100%. So directly, you can influence the entire workforce within a single business to make that business better and hopefully also reduce some of that pressure in terms of financial concerns because everyone's operating at a higher level just by yeah. serving a reasonable level of staff food. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And that's, I mean, nailed, nailed that. I, I really, I really admire that, that outlook. And talk to, um, talk to me about a little bit more about one thing that we've discussed before is the three month rotor planning that you've implemented. Um, and we've also discussed as well, and, and you can pick either of these topics, but we've also discussed about how you build that kitchen culture outside of the work environment and get others to, you know, focus more on themselves as, as individuals and provide uh, time for them to mm. focus on their own hobbies. And in fact, actually, the two probably go quite together. So talk to me about your rotor planning and also how you how you're looking at building more personal time into that? So I think first off, if I, in the first instance of rotor writing, it's all gone a bit, you know, left and center now because of COVID. But the second part is really relevant to everything that's, that we're currently going through with COVID. So 
first environment, you know, with actually the, the, the original, the, the way we got to the three month road to writing was actually pivotal to the um, abusive management that we were, that we were sort of all in the groove with. So we were so obsessed at, uh, you know, about, you know, what we were trying to achieve at the time that we made a really uncomfortable environment. So we had a really high turnover of staff. And when you're in that moment, the high turnover of staff is everybody else's fault but your own because they can't hack it. They're not good enough. You know, they couldn't. It's not about the environment that you've created. Um, But we got to a point where even my loyal, my inner loyal circle were getting to the point where it's like, Chef, when are we when are we getting some new staff in, you know, who can stick? And I ended up putting up three months worth of rotors just to say, this is how crap it's going to be. You know, this is what we need to battle through, right, before, you know, we can get to a point where we've, we've taken somebody in, we've interviewed them, and they're going to start. Right? So I gave myself a three-month run of the worst-case scenario if we all stuck together. And I put it up, and I said, if anybody else joins in the meantime, this rotor will just get better and better right? but at this moment in time you know this is what it's looking like six days a week x y and z so we, we we put that up but in conjunction with that you know i think i think me mad chef and i think one of my sous chefs can remember this quite clearly we had somebody come for a come for an interview that day you know you know it's like a kitchen they, they're coming in the morning they work with us all day, you know, we didn't have a break, you know, we went straight through and then we cleaned the kitchen down about 11.30 and uh, we went downstairs and um, started getting the meat fridge out. The guy's like, oh, what are you doing now? So I'm doing the midnight miso, we're getting all the butchery done for tomorrow. He's like, yeah, but, you know, it's quarter to 12. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I re- and then that kid just said, oh, I'm just going to go to the toilet and left because he's on a trial yeah he's on a trial and he's thinking why don't I want to work somewhere that's you know pushing on after 14 hours of work they want to go again you know these guys are a lunatic and I turn around to you know a senior team so we got changed you know we 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 cannot carry on like this nobody wants to work with us you know all the people do want to work with us are just as mental as us and you know that's and I you know and you get to a point where you think (laughs) I can't sustain this, you know, like I, you know, I had a, a young family at the time and it's like, you know, I also would like to know that there's a bit of time when I can, because I found myself not being able to come down, you know, like you, You're always that, on that person all the time, you know, like, you know, just put the dishwasher away or, you know, why have you left the, the knife out of the butter from the toast, you know, it's like, hey, and I remember my wife saying, you know, I'm not one of your chefs. And it's yeah. like, yeah, all right, okay, yeah, yeah, I need to sort of break this down a little bit more. My brother said to me, he said, you've become a caricature of your own self, you know, like this this mad chefing thing. And so I sat everyone down and said, look, guys, you know, it's going to be rocky, but we need people. You know, we can't keep doing this on our own. You know, we've, we've got to have, you know, chefs in this kitchen. We've got to sort of realise that, you know, at this point we stop, at this point, you know, and when people are, join you know we have to be a little bit more accommodating and giving them a little bit more time to to buy into our standards and our other bits and pieces that we're trying to trying to achieve here but once that road had been written as people joined it you know it was easy just to slip them in 
And then I was ahead of the game. Then I, I started, you know, well, I'm going to write another three months. Right? And actually, what I want to know is when's everyone going on holiday? And then oh, actually, let's just plan, you know, not just three months. I'm going to build a year rotor, which I do now. I build a, a one-year Excel spreadsheet and I put all the days and the times in it. And then I just fill it in. And then I sit down everybody and I say, right, you know, we're writing the holidays for this year. We do have a bit of a hierarchical thing. So I'll choose my holidays first and the head chef gets his and then it filters down. So if you're the newest recruits at the, you know, at the entry level, you know, you're the person who's most likely to be asked to take your holiday outside of the people who've been most loyal, you know, been with us for the most amount of time. And it seems to work pretty fairly. And then you start putting in all your holiday pattern. And I think I need to, I need to have, um, I think it's 12 days, uh, 21 days holiday, two week period is the average to run down the holiday accrual against a team of 20, 21 chefs and eight kitchen porters or whatever it is, right? You then, I have a little number thing that tells me how many holiday days of accrued, you know, that I'm using, sorry, uh, in any period. So I manage my holiday accrual much better. And that's another thing that just tend to be historical. Actually, I think a lot of managers are really historically bad at is managing the holiday in a proactive way. So you're not depleted because I see it every year from, from the budgets, you know, and the budgets come in and say, right, you know, in January, you know, staff costs are going to be lower because we're not as busy and it's a good time to get everybody on holiday. And it's like, but all you end up doing that way is making those who aren't on holiday super busy because there's hardly any staff, right? You're much better taking... Having no, you can go on holiday in December, you can go on holiday in August, all of this, no holiday in August, no holiday in December, it drives me bonkers because it's, you'll be, it's much easier for you to manage your holiday equally throughout the year than trying to pack it into some months because conversely, you get to a point where oh, January wants to be, you know, it's going to be a quiet time and then you're putting all your promotions out Right? because you want to be able to drive business through through in January and you're doing it on half the team and they're more exhausted by the time the rest of the team come back. I, it, it's bonkers. But it yeah, took yeah. me all of that to, to realise that sitting down with your team, you know, like normally I would, you know, come February, March, I'd be talking to the majority of the team about their holidays for the next year. Now, people say, well, you don't know. You know, how busy you're going to be or you don't know if that person's going to be here it's like no you're right i don't but what i do have is a well-balanced hotel um holiday program so some you leave somebody else comes in and i try to always hold you know if you've got a pre-booked holiday i try to make that work right but what we can do if we get to that, that difficult position we say well look that guy's no longer here. I've got two weeks here. I've got 10 days here. And I'm all about making sure your team are on holiday at least once every three months. They need a break. Yeah. You know, you need, you, you, with your 28 days, or if, if you at Linewood and you've been here over three, four years, you get 32 days, 31 days, something like that. You have two big holidays, two 10-day holidays, right? and two... Well, which would turn out to be two two-week holidays and two 10-day holidays, which are two days off, five days, two days off. And I think if you're on one of those holidays every three months and you've got it, you know, marked out, you sit down with your young chefs and, and they'll, they'll be the first ones to tell you, I don't need a holiday, you know, I'm fine. It's like, but don't accept that because 
They think that, but then by the time you get to, you know, six months down the line, they're falling apart. Their performances are dropping, you know, their interest is, is, is waiting. And what you have to do is encourage them to think about their life beyond tomorrow. Because a lot of the, you know, it's a young industry and they come in, you know, today's the day I'm living. I'm not sure. And then what they end up doing is panicking. Oh, all my friends are going to Ibiza. I need to go next week. It's like, well, we can't because we haven't planned it. But, or the other, the, 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 the one that I really love is when people say, well, I don't know what my friends are going to do. Right? So, all right. So why don't you be the one person in your friend group? Because all your friends will be exactly the same. Nobody have a bloody clue about what's going on, right? Or when you want to do it, are you going to leave it too late? Be the person who says, right, boys, girls, whatever, I've booked in this holiday period here. Go and speak to your employees and book the time off. I always say, let, don't let us be the ones on the back end of somebody else's decisions. Let us be the ones who are dictating it. I'm sorry yeah. you know, to, to other chefs who are friends with the chefs who work at my place who keep telling you, you know, you guys <laughs> when, when they're going on holiday, but if you're on the front foot with it, it's just so much easier. Honestly, it's about, it's about taking control though from the sound of things and, and not controlling like a, a dictator fashion, but it's no. almost like saying, because the hospitality is a reactive industry, right? We we yeah. know this from the way that we see people getting promoted because someone's left, they're not upskilled properly. Yeah. You get, you know, everything's a flash in the pan moment, quickly reacting to the circumstances in front of us. But what you've actually done is you've managed to say, well, actually, if I plan and I plan accordingly and I do it for a decent amount of time, that we are actually in control of what's happening on a regular basis. And there will be things that become out of our control, but it's about a sense of, a better sense of resilience, a better sense of, um, you know, not control over destiny without getting too airy-fairy. No. But it's about being able to go, well, I've planned for this. So here's, you know, and this has happened two or three months in advance. So I know yeah. how to navigate it in a better way now. And I also think it's a finish line for people, which I think is important. You know, I think you think to yourself, oh, just get through these next couple of weeks and now, you know, I've got a holiday. Even though you didn't feel like three months ago, that was important. You start to realize a little bit further on down the line, actually, I'm really glad I have put that in. I'm feeling tired now, you know, or, you know, and we always say, you know, you have to be compassionate as well. They say, well, you know, what if, you know, somebody dies or somebody gets ill or, you know, somebody you know, decides to get married, you know, there's enough in your holiday accrual, you know, to, to, to be able to, you know, pinch a day or two off, off that holiday you had there or, or even, you know what, just swallow the bullet and say, you know what, you take this weekend off, go away and, and earn some goodwill in the bank. You know, that, you know, is not going to do any business any harm. You being a compassionate leader who said, yeah, actually, you know, you did take all your holiday and you can't ch pinch anything off it because you pre-booked it and you're going away. But somebody has come up that you do need the time off for. And you know what? I'm going to give it you. you know, right? And I think if everybody um, in the team buys into it, what you end up with is... We all are working hard for each other because I know when you're on holiday, I'm going to need to step up. But when I'm on holiday, you're going to step up. But it isn't in those peak and trough moments that, mm. you know, and I see it on the budget every year. And I, and I don't, I just don't, I don't, I'm not an advocator of having, slightly different, I don't have as seasonal the businesses as, as, as some people, but I like just to take, 
you know, the split evenly and just say, you know, instead of me having a budget that is, you know, £50,000 one month and £30,000 the next month, I'd rather split the difference and have a £40,000 budget for the whole year, build my team around that and build my holiday plan around that. Once you get to that, you'll the stress and strains of, of because um, when I, you know, when I was young, I used to sit in those budget meetings in the, in the beginning and someone say, well, you know, you should be, you know, spending, you know, £35,000 this month, you're spending £45,000, you know, you go, yeah, but what am I meant to be spending in August? Oh, in August and December, you're meant to be spending £65,000. And how much am I spending? £40,000. So, you know... It all balances out, doesn't it? But that's, it balances that's, out. That's a learned behaviour. Again, though, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cliche of hospitality. We don't, although we're always planning, we know that Christmas is coming round. We know that Valentine's Day and Mother's Day are going to be busy periods, but we're never looking far enough in, the, no. in advance. You, you go, we, you know, and it's, it's, a, it, it's the same sort of mentality that drives the blame culture, that drives the negativity talking. That, you know, it's the same sort of mentality. And it's ultimately about a case of, Realize where we are, look further ahead than yourself, start looking into the future rather than in this very moment. Yeah. And that's the same with not just rotor planning or with budgets, but that's with your emotions as well. And go, well, actually, this decision here hasn't cost anyone their life. Yeah. But the way that I react to this decision could have grave consequences on the most yeah. most people. And it's 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 that massive paradigm shift, that pill that you can take to actually go. If as an industry we started looking more at the bigger picture, I think ultimately we'd end up with a, a much probably a not only a happier industry, but a hugely more profitable industry. And I know from our conversations previously, you actually have to ask members of your team in a in a rather nice way, you have to encourage them to move on to bigger and better things because you have got to the stage now where you're planned, you're methodical, you treat them in the right manner, that actually your attention rate has is I mean, I've seen, I've been, had the luxury of seeing what your retention rate is sat at, and it's one of the best I think I've seen in hospitality. Um, so, you know, you're almost, you've almost created more problems for yourself now because now you have to ask your good members of staff to, to yeah, but move you know, on. What's interesting even about that is a bit like the road to writing. You know, if you, en if you engage your team in the right way, you can really, um, you can really develop career paths for people in in a really nice control way you're not putting the ball in their court saying right you know you make you know where you staying are you going it's like we we, we often in you know i've literally just done it very recently with a, a a young member of the team who came from direct from uh, portsmouth college to us and i remember it when i was here, you know you couldn't tell the chef you were leaving you know if you told the chef you were leaving you, your pay would be screwed you get the crappiest rota so when i remember being young you know you used to just walk out of a job do your year walk out you know don't worry about it you know um but i know I, I just never wanted to be that chef and so recently this young girl signed you know found out that um she'd you know potentially is thinking about you know moving on and potentially exploring you know becoming a baker so i just I sat down and said hey becky i've heard this you know blah 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 you know why don't let i know those people at that bakery why don't i make a phone call you know why don't we look, put it on the road so you do a week down there see how you feel about it you know if not let's have a little you know we can chat again maybe look at some different restaurants maybe some chocolate work i think if we took much more accountability of our staff 
not just when they work for us, but where they're going afterwards. Because you know, we've had a really good relationship with um, you know a few of the guys in London, and, and particularly you know um, Phil Howard. We've had a few people go down there, and I feel very proud when Phil comes to eat or comes to to work with us, and uh, you know, in, in in you know, in a pop up capacity or whatever. That you know, we've got something to talk about. He's proud of the people that you know we, we've developed. I can only go so far. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not the Michelin star super chef, you know, or we feed people into Angela's kitchens. You know, there's been a lot of development there or front of house moving into, and it's, but giving people, being open, giving people the space to sort of consider whether that next move is right for them and supporting them whether it is or it isn't. So yes, we want to leave. You know, I remember sending some a couple that worked for us. We sent them to London. We sent them to Cornwall. They spent some time with you know uh, Nathan Outlaw, uh, Paul Ainsworth, uh, Phil Howard, and um, uh, 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 Neves at Sabor. Okay, but so so what do you want to do? You want to stay? Do you want to go? And they're like, no, we want to go. Great. So when do you want to go? So, uh, well, we thought we'd do fair. We'd give you three months, which gives you a chance to start interviewing, hiring somebody, finding the right replacement. You know what? What God said, you know, completely different vibe from that effing and blinding bastards leaving us after every and understanding that, you know, we're a platform. You know, we, we do what we do at Linewood. I'm very proud of everything that we do at Linewood with Heart and Holder and Co. But if you want to go off and Cook at three mission star level, you need to go work for Gordon or Claire Smith or Mark Birchall. I can't do that for you. You know, I can't provide that, you know. But what that also does is stops people getting frustrated at what it is you, you, you do do. They, they feel proud of, you know, we do 110 for lunch, 110 for dinner. We smash it out. It's all day dining. We do, but we're proud of that. All right. And that will be a, a proud moment in their career. And they'll, you know, hopefully they'll look back and say, you know, I had a good influence on their career. I might not have, you know, taught them everything. Of course you're not going to. You know, there are other chefs. There are always people who are great and lesser than yourself, right? But if you can stand behind your chefs and move them on, I can't wait for the day I'm going to sit in, you know, one of my chefs who's worked with me has gone and got a mission star and sit there and say, thanks for everything you did for me, chef. It was really... And we always say, you always have a seat at our table when you come back. You know, a lot of my guys, when they come back, I always lay lunch and dinner on them for them, you know, because they work their nuts off for you, you know. And I think if we could be a little bit more open like that, a bit more encouraging and actually spend, uh, you know, some money on supporting people when they want to move on, the knock-on effect that has on the rest of the team, seeing how you operate is phenomenal because it removes that, that, that cover of secrecy and, and you know deceit around because they say chef i'm just not sure what i want to do yet you know i'm not sure whether i've been here a few years you know i can't see me progressing it's like you're right there is nowhere to progress to so what should we do mm. right and that is a very liberating and empowering moment yeah definitely and it's um mirrors i'm hoping to get sat baines on in january to talk about him and his journey i mean we've spoken Sat and I have spoken on a on a again a staff canteen chat, but only very loosely. And I'm really keen to get into his his workings, which are very similar to yours. Um, you know, I've heard interviews where previous members of staff have spoken about the times we sat and they go to hand in their notice and then rescind it. And he's telling them to actually, no, you need to put 
put your notice in and leave this place because that's a much better opportunity. Yeah. And they speak fondly of this and they, you know, and it's like on um, uh, the Nightcap podcast. I've heard his yeah. name mentioned a couple of times now. Yeah. You know, when they're talking about the times when the shit's hit the fan and getting scolded by hot pans and this sort of stuff. But actually then Sat's name come up and it's like, yeah, what a great guy. Like he's really helped me in my career. I think that that is something that more businesses yeah. like yourself we need to be really looking at that and it's working that works so why don't more people do it and you know it's interesting just as you you're talking now it's like being able you know even chef to chef being able to pick up the phone even if you don't know him and ring somebody up and say you know what i've got a good guy here right you or a good girl here who's curious about the next level you know can i send them down for a week we're happy to pay for the accommodation happy to sort out can you just make it an environment where they can come in you know and spend a bit of time with you you know we we need to be better at doing that you know we did a pop-up with adam byatt from uh trinity you know and chris boland his head chef you know wonderful guy him and adam i got deep deep respect for what they do and who, what they're about and everything they're creating and um he, you know, just before the whole pandemic, he was like, Look, I've got a young girl here. I think she'd really do well, you know, coming down and spending some time with you guys. And it's like, yeah, let us see if we can put her up. Let us see if we can do. And we got a thing with that with uh, Mitch Tonks at the Seahorse. You know, we um, in Dartmouth, I got, you know, Mitch Tonks, one of my great friends of, of, of hospitality. And I think what he's done is a, is a great example of how to run um, a small regional restaurant you know, that isn't trying to get Michelin stars and that, but just delivers brilliant uh, hospitality and brilliant food. And we're always, you know, trying to send people down. Or, you know, he sent his, you know, his boy up with us to learn pasta. And and it was a really nice moment, actually, when um, I saw on Instagram, Ben had done the polenta ravioli. And, I, and he'd come up and learned that with us. And, and I just, and I'd certainly said thanks and, you know, tagged me in. And I just put something, you know, because it's been quite a personal dish for us and our restaurant and it's nice and i just put it's nice to see she's gone on to to to, to sit her to have a new life with with loving and caring people around her and it's just a bloody planet ravioli dish you know but <laughs> it's it's that openness that willing to share that willing to be you know to to to, to transfer skills passion uh creativity and and actually the core of what hospitality is being open, being welcome, you know, to, to make people feel settled. I think, we, you know, all of us, you know, it's interesting you talk about Sat Bays, you know, I met him uh, only once at uh, dinner at Rick Stein's and he, his personality really resonates as somebody you want to be around and, and work for. He doesn't come across as difficult and challenging. I think he, he's, again, somebody who probably sets out his standards quite clearly, you know, in the very beginning. But if you're playing the game at that level, that's where you need to be, but he still has compassion and consideration. Yeah, 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 a hundred percent. I mean, I'm looking forward to the chat. I'm hoping that it, it, I think you and I cover a lot of stuff. And I think, um, to be honest with you, we could probably go on for another two hours because there's stuff that we haven't spoken about, such as sharing, sharing staff meals and getting on the bikes and yeah. a whole host of other things. And hopefully you and I, was, as, as I've said before, once this COVID and these lockdown restrictions ease a little bit, we can meet up and start putting things together that will benefit other people. But I'm hoping that, you know, by speaking to other people in the industry who've also had similar experiences, we can get a bigger, broader picture of 
what would work well for the industry long term. There's a chap in, um, whilst I'm thinking about it as well, there's a chef in New York who I'd like to speak to, who actually built his menu and his restaurant around the impact that it would have on his staff. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so their dish, so get this, their dish creations, their menu creations were based around the level of stress between one and 10 it would cause them to create in a fast-paced environment. <laughs> like, I mean, how's that for menu development? They're basically going, yeah. how was this dish put together? Well, it was a little bit taxing. Could you do it for 100 people during a busy service? Oh, I don't know. I think it'd probably elevate my stress levels quite a bit. Yeah. Fuck it off then. We yeah. can do decent quality food without yeah. having to worry about breaking backs to do that's, it. That's really interesting. You know, I, listen, we've, me, my head chef, my senior team, literally just been touching the surface of a conversation like that recently. It's like, what is the point in trying to put these dishes off? Can we deliver this? And then you, you, you get back to the, you know, your chain's only as strong as the weakest link. It's like, can, can the weakest link in our kitchen hold this menu together? You know, like, no, well then it's only going to fall apart. So let's not do it. And the creativity gets driven into a more focused position, which is, can we, we're all about delivering good food consistently. So if that has to be lost and that has to be lost, then this is what we can do. And that's what people are going to buy into, you know, not well on a good day, it would, the dish would have been here, but it was a bit busy today. So the dish is down here and somebody's crying in the kitchen and somebody's just walked out. So don't treat us too badly. Yeah. 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 No, that'd be class. I mean, if I can get this guy on board, um, I mean, which, because he's also, you know, he's, he's put in place things like uh, separating areas for staff and talking about what you and I were talking about just before this podcast started about building into your rota, mm. actual times into a work rota that involves going outside and getting fresh air or doing exercise. Um, well, you know, and I think that's vitally important as well. And that, unfortunately, will have to be a conversation for another day. But, um <laughs> To, too much no no not at all i mean i i love it and to be honest with you if this was me listening to this podcast i'd still be listening intently but <laughs> you know I'm, we're working on we're working with chefs here yeah <laughs> attention yeah. spans are uh can sometimes be limited and apologies <laughs> to those of you who want to continue to listen so one of the questions that i ask regularly uh luke and i'd be interested to hear from from yourself if you can give us a summary is if you were to write an open and honest letter to yourself uh, an 18 year old version of yourself, what would that letter say to summarize what you've learned? Um, be compassionate. I think be more compassionate than, you know, with all the aggression that's thrown at you and all the stress and strains that are thrown at you, just be more compassionate. Because I think compassion to me just, I think that's the, the one thing that, that's, took me away from the Michelin kitchens in the early days and made me explore something else. Cause it, man, it really made me cook. Cause I didn't feel that there was, um, there was a lack of compassion, you know, within the kitchen, it was, you know, do or die. And I think to my 18 year old self, yeah, just when you become a head chef, be as, and, and, and I sort of, tried to be that but i lost the focus when i really got it when i took when i sat in the hot seat and not that i regret you know regret it but i just think i could have been more compassionate and i probably would have been there may have been more people on the 
more people who'd survived uh, mentally hospitality if I hadn't been so dogged. I've never heard you say so few words, but make it such hard hitting ever, Luke. <laughs> no, that was class. Thank you. Thank you ever so You're much. Welcome. It's been a pleasure. You, sir, are an absolute legend. I know that you need to um, get out and uh, get on the bike and do some riding. Yeah, well, there's still a bit of break in the weather. Yeah. So good. Physical exercise is mental, you know, stress relief. Good on you. And um, as soon as these tier four restrictions lift, yeah, I'll book a time to come down and we'll have a chat in more detail. Perfect. Chris, thanks again. And for everything you're doing, it's, uh, it's really important. Thank you, mate. And without your support, it's, uh, yeah, without everyone's support, it wouldn't be where it is. So thank you very much, mate. And we'll speak soon. Ciao. Take See care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Luke Holder there. There were so many points to take away that I think that many businesses could benefit from if they spent a little bit more time looking at their culture or their staff's well-being and treating people as individuals rather than numbers. As always, if you'd like to learn more about The Burnt Chef Project, please head over to our website, www.theburntchefproject.com, where you'll find more information about what we do, how we aid the industry, and also you'll find some cool merch that you can purchase to help support the ongoing work that we're doing in normalizing the conversation around mental health. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again soon.